Early one Sunday morning, about ten years ago, seven-year-old Preston Scarborough took his dad's car out for a drive. He'd only ever watched somebody drive a car. He'd never been in a driving seat before. But he managed to get the car started and drove at speeds of up to 40 miles an hour around his town. Now, after receiving reports of a child driving recklessly, the police caught up with him and tried unsuccessfully to stop him. Amazingly, with the police still chasing him, Preston drove back to his house, parked the car safely in the driveway and ran into his house to tell him that the cops were outside. (laughs) Then he went downstairs and hid in the basement, as you would if you had been driving your dad's car. So why did Preston do all of this? Why did he go for that joyride on a Sunday morning? Well, when his dad asked him, he said that it was because he didn't want to go to church. Because the weather was so nice. Now, usually people don't go to such great lengths to avoid church. But we all have reasons why sometimes we might not come to church, why we might stay away. But the Apostle Paul was not like that when it came to church. And he wasn't even like that when it came to the church in Corinth. As we've seen over the past eight months of studying Paul's letter to them, this church was in a real mess. There were deep divisions over their favourite celebrity leaders. They turned a blind eye to serious immorality. They were suing each other in court. They had a warped idea of marriage and gender. They were arguing over what food they were allowed to eat. People were actually getting drunk at their communion services. And their ideas of spiritual gifts meant that sometimes their services were completely incomprehensible. And then some of the teachers in that church were destroying their hope in the resurrection. And then to top it all off, this church were were harshly and unfairly criticising the Apostle Paul, the one who'd actually led them to Christ in the first place. So you'd think that if anybody had a reason to stay away from a church, well, Paul had every reason. And yet, in this last section of his letter, he again expressed his deep love for this church and his longing to be with them. And through this, he gives us a glimpse of what Christian fellowship should really look like. So we're going to read together. Treve's going to come up and he's going to read our passage for us. And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 5 down to verse 24 to the end of the chapter. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever you go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on, stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me 
I'm expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much, Tree, for reading that passage for us. I think it's obvious throughout this, this passage that Paul loved this church. In fact, he finished his letter with a declaration of his love. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't one of those guys who thinks it's wrong to tell someone that they love them, to share their feelings. Paul was upfront and clear about the fact that he loved the people in this church. Despite all of the, hard, the heartache and all of the hardships that this church had caused them, Paul loved them and cared about them. And he wanted them to know that. And he knew that this was crucial for a church. As we read in verse 14, do everything in love, he said. He knew that Christians need to express their love for each other. And so he sent greetings from the churches in the province of Asia, from a couple called Aquila and Priscilla, who were actually working with Paul when he was in Corinth to plant this church. The church that meets at their house, and all the brothers that were there with him. He wanted these believers <coughs> excuse me, to know that there was a wider Christian family who loved them and cared for them. But he also wanted them to express that love to each other. So he told them, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that was just a common way for friends and family to show affection for each other. And Paul wanted this church to do that for each other. To declare clearly, unequivocally, that they were united together in love. Now, in the middle of this pandemic, that's a bit more difficult, isn't it? Uh, there was no holy kisses going on as he came in the door this morning, I hope. 
not even a, a hug or a handshake. But if we can't, even if we can't do those kind of things, we really need to keep trying to find ways to express that love for each other. Not just take it for granted, but actually to declare it in some way. And one of the ways that we can do that is by spending time with each other. Paul wrote this letter when he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He was going to stay there a bit longer, but then he was going to travel through Macedonia and eventually he was hoping to arrive in Corinth. And he was planning to come and to stay with them for a while. He says in verse 6, Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Now, there was a practical reason for spending the winter in Corinth. In the Mediterranean Sea, travel was just dangerous during the winter months. So staying in Corinth, which was a port, would have been a good place to stay and then he could travel on once the winter had passed. But there was another reason why Paul wanted to stay in Corinth. That's just because he wanted to spend time with these believers. Look at verse 7. I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you. Now the Apostle Paul, he had a real passion to share the gospel as a pioneer missionary in areas where the gospel had never been preached. He was always wanting to go to new areas where people had never heard about Jesus ever before. That was his calling. That was his God-given mission. But Paul also loved spending time with his Christian family. He loved just hanging out with them. He wanted to encourage them and be encouraged by them. And that's what Christian fellowship should look like. Our love for each other should make us want to spend time together. One of the the characteristics, one of the strengths of the early church was that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Of course, we all have so many other things to do, don't we? So many other priorities, so many other responsibilities. Some of you guys are incredibly busy. And in the middle of a pandemic... It's even more difficult to spend time together when you're hearing the messages about how we need to keep our distance and, and, and keep safe. But it's also so crucial for us to do whatever we can do to be together as a body of believers. So as a Christian fellowship, we need to spend time together. We need to share love. But spending time together isn't our only priority, of course. As Paul said here, these travels were plans that he, he talked about here. They were only made if the Lord permits. The Apostle Paul knew that his life was in God's hands, ultimately. And it's ultimately God who decides what we do. He can make plans, but it's only if God wills. That's what James told us in his letter to do. He said, if it's the Lord's will, we should, we should say, if it's, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We shouldn't just say, oh, well, we're going to do this and we're going to make plans next, week, next year or whatever. 
We need to accept that, that God's in control of those things. Only God knows the future. Only God knows what is going to happen, not only in next year, but even today or tomorrow. But this uncertainty about Paul's travel plans that he expresses here wasn't just because he understood that God was in charge. It was also because Paul was kind of conflicted. He, he took in competing desires. Yes, he wanted to go and be with these Christians, but his greater passion was to share the gospel with those who desperately needed to hear. Paul was longing to go to Corinth, but he was willing to stay in Ephesus for a while more because, as he said in verse 9, a great door for effective work has opened up to me. Paul recognised that God had provided an amazing opportunity to preach the gospel in Ephesus. And so he wanted to take full advantage of that opportunity. And so, as a result, the ministry in Ephesus was incredibly effective. In Acts chapter 9, 19, sorry, verse 9 to 10, it says this, that Paul had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, that's the Roman province of Asia, not the continent of Asia, the, the Roman province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. For two years in that hall, Paul preached the gospel and for the first time people heard the, the good news about Jesus has, who has died for them, for their sins, to bring them to relationship with him. And they, they put their trust in Jesus and they were brought into God's family. And then from that lecture hall in Ephesus, People took that gospel that they'd heard and they took it out to the whole of that area, that whole of that Roman province, so that people all over that area heard the word of the Lord. And that's what we're called to do as well. Christian fellowship is not just about meeting together and spending time with each other and loving each other. It's also about expressing God's love to the world. It's about taking the gospel to those who don't know it. Those who don't know Jesus. And there are, of course, so many ways that we can do this. We can do this through literature. Like with the, the John's Gospels that we're giving out around the doors. Or, or the calendars. That we're distributing just now in the run-up to Christmas. Or through the street work that Jason does. Playing on the street and sharing the good news through songs. Or it could just be through inviting people to our services. Or even to our Christmas services that we're going to have on the run-up to Christmas Day. Or it could just be through taking time with our friends or our family, or our neighbours, just chatting to them, sharing God's love with them, looking for an opportunity to gently and sensitively speak about Jesus and point them to, their, to the Saviour. The critical thing is that we need to have the eyes to see these opportunities and the faith 
to take them. This is what Paul wrote to the the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 4. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need to be committed to share the gospel whenever we can. To take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us. Of course, that's not easy, is it? Sharing the gospel is not an easy thing to do. Open doors, like Paul experienced there in Ephesus, don't often lead to pain-free ministry. In Ephesus, Paul didn't just have amazing opportunities, he also had incredible opposition. See, in verse 9 he says, There are many who oppose me. Now, if you want to read all the details about that, you can read it in Acts chapter 19. But those who opposed Paul included the Jews who had rejected Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. As well as the, the silversmiths who rioted in that city. You know, a full-blown riot because they were afraid that Paul's preaching would lead people to give up buying their little idols that they were making. Working effectively for God does not mean that things are just going to go smoothly. The presence of opposition in our lives does not mean that we've moved away from God's will for our lives. And so as a Christian fellowship, we're not just called to speak up for Christ, we're also called to suffer for Christ. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Maybe in our homes, maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our, in our, in our communities, but, but we, will, we should expect this. This is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian fellowship. It means that there will be people who will oppose us and ridicule us reject us, keep their distance from us. And maybe that's why Paul challenged them in verse 13 as he did. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Paul knew that these believers in Corinth faced incredible opposition, just like he was experiencing in Ephesus. There were people outside of the church who were ridiculing them for their faith. There were people inside of the church who were teaching them and they were trying to pull them away from the truth. And then there was Satan and all the spiritual forces of evil who were seeking to tear this little church apart. And so they needed to be on their guard. They needed to be alert to the danger. They needed to stand firm in the faith, to reject any teaching that was contrary to the gospel of Christ. 
They needed to be courageous in the face of danger. And they needed to be strong enough to keep standing no matter how difficult it got. And folks, I'm sure I don't need to tell you that we are in that spiritual battle too. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah, we're not, we're, our enemies are not the people out there. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're in a spiritual battle. And so we need the courage and the conviction to stand in the truth of God's word. To be unshakable in our faith. And to keep on giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. No matter what happens. But the good news is that we don't need to do this on our own. God has united us together as a body of believers. So we can do this together. Paul asked the Corinthians to welcome Timothy when he visited them. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Timothy was, was Paul's son in the faith. He was his apprentice, his, his assistant. And this church, Paul was saying, could benefit from Timothy's ministry just as it benefited from Timothy's ministry. So welcome him. Because Timothy's going to help you. Paul also spoke about Apollos. Now, about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. Some people in the church, if you remember way back in chapter 1 and 2, some people in this church were fighting over which, whether Paul or Apollos were the better preachers. But Paul had nothing to do with that kind of competition. Paul refused to be drawn into that. And instead, he knew that Apollos was his partner in ministry and believed that Apollos could, could go and help that church just as he could. Paul believed that this church couldn't just do, go, go alone. They couldn't just survive on their own two feet and just kind of refuse to get help from anywhere else. They needed other people to speak into their lives, to minister to them. Now that unity can only be expressed if we're united in the truth of Christ. Paul also said, verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. We cannot be united with those who are not united with Christ or who are not teaching the truth about Christ. But the Bible is really clear that if we are going to stand strong in our lives, we need to stand strong together. But it's not just partnership that helps us to live for Christ. Partnership with other believers. It's also leadership. God provided this church in Corinth with amazing leaders. And Paul here called the church to submit to such as these. 
He wanted this church to recognise those that God had appointed and allow them to lead them and to guide them through their lives. Submitting to Christian leadership is always a characteristic of a healthy church. But this first of all requires that those leaders are following Christ's example. Jesus said that the leaders of his church should not lord over others like the leaders in the world do. Instead, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Christian leadership is always servant leadership. And that's what these leaders in Corinth were doing. The household of Stephanus. They were the the first people to come to faith in that region where Corinth was under Paul's ministry. And Paul himself had baptised them. But Paul said about them that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. This actually literally means in the original language that they appointed themselves. They appointed themselves. That sounds kind of wrong, doesn't it? They appointed themselves as leaders. Well, they didn't appoint themselves to a position or to influence or to power. Instead, they appointed themselves to service. They saw a need in this church and without anybody asking them or pushing them or, or, or you know, trying to encourage them to do it, they just stepped up and they got involved in service. They served this church without ever needing to be asked. And they worked hard at it. Paul talks about their labour. Labour means work that leads to exhaustion. It was hard work, but they were committed to doing this. And this is the kind of leadership that we need in our church. And this is the kind of leadership that we need to be willing to submit to. And if we do, then we'll all benefit. As Paul in this church did, it says in verse 18, that they refreshed my spirit and yours also. But there was one more thing that this church needed. Something more than partnership with other believers. Something more than than good servant leadership. They needed Christ himself. And so Paul brought his his readers back to how he started. If you remember way back when we started looking at this letter, I think it was February or something like that, a long time ago, Paul's greeting was this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at the end of this letter, after all that he had written to them, his desire was that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's what this church needed the most. 
more than teaching from Paul or help from Timothy or, or encouragement from Apollos or ministry from Stephanus. This church needed the grace of Christ. The free gift that only Christ could give. His love, His forgiveness, His restoration, His power, His strength, His spirit. And ultimately, His presence with them. As fully as they could. And ultimately, the fullest of reality of this presence with them. And so Paul declared in verse 22, Come, O Lord. It's the Aramaic prayer. Maranatha. It expresses Paul's eager longing that Christ would come again. Just as he's described in chapter 15 of this letter. And this is what Christian fellowship should look like. It should look like a people who are longing for Christ to come and to work in their lives today. To experience more of His grace right now. But also a deep desire for Him to come again. And to reign supremely in our lives. And in this world. And to take us to be with Him forever. So the Corinthians, they still had huge problems in their church. And yet Paul, he still saw their value and their worth. He still believed that they were the church of God in Corinth. And so he was committed to doing whatever he could to help them live out who they were in Christ. And I pray that despite all the issues and the problems and the challenges that we face, we too will be committed to being the church of God in Enniscorthy. That we will show love to each other as we've been loved by Christ. That we'll share the gospel with this world, making the most of every opportunity to point them to Christ. That we'll stand together in the unity that, that we have been brought into as we face all the challenges that we face because we are the body of Christ. That we'll submit to leaders. Leaders who will serve us with the humility of Christ. And that we'll seek Christ first in our lives. We'll seek His grace today as we wait for him to come.